episode of the Electric Sodcast is brought to you by Benton's Mango Pieces. Pure, unsulfured pieces of dried fruit with no additives. Nothing but 100% fruit. Nothing but 100% delicious. What are you doing? That's not the first line. The sketch begins with, I'm sorry to bother you, Doctor, but my knee is being a complete prick. But we're doing an advert. Podcasts are full of adverts. You've sold us out. Hardly. You've you've bent over to big business. You're taking it up the wazoo from the man. You're gobbling corporate cock. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd hardly agree with any of those radical interpretations of the text. I, I just thought we could run a few ads to bring in a couple of quid. You've lost me. Well, we put a lot of work into this show. Seems only fair we try and claw back a bit of remuneration for our efforts. You waste your whole weekend sat indoors swearing at audacity. Let's monetize the show. Oh, well, that's different. How, how does it work? Okay, so for example, the deal I've struck with Benton's Mango is that we invoice them to the tune of one shining copper penny each time our show is downloaded. And based on last week's figures, that's 48p profit each episode. What if we told Benton's Mango that we had, in fact, seen over one million downloads? Ah, well, then they'd have to give us one million pence. I could buy a yacht. (laughs) Yeah, not for a million pence, you couldn't. It's about ten grand. And I'd get half. I could fulfil my lifelong dream to visit Madagascar. Yeah, I think we'd need to attract more listeners before we earn enough advertising money to bankroll your globe-trotting ways. If only you'd kept that job in international sales, eh? It was killing me with stress, but that annual conference in Frankfurt made up for everything. Really? I always imagined Frankfurt was a rather dull place. I could tell you some stories. Maybe after some recording. Look, our listeners are not interested in your sordid details of the seedy Frankfurt antics. Oh, noted. You carry on then. Finish the advert. Well, I have finished. Well, say it again. Well, uh, no, I, I, I just feel a bit self-conscious now. Oh, go on. <sighs> okay. Benton's Mango. Pure, unsulfured pieces of dried fruit with no additives. Nothing but 100% fruit. Nothing but 100% delicious. So if we've run their ad twice, is it worth a pound per show now? Hmm, yeah, I guess. I'm going to rework this week's sketches to get references to Benton's Mango in all of them. You can ring around all the other companies and see who else wants to advertise on our show. Um, yeah, I can't help but notice that you've uh, wholeheartedly embraced the enthusiastic sucking of Satan's winky then. You just don't understand modern business realities. Welcome to this episode of the Glass Eye Podcast. Joining me this week is eminent British filmmaker and critic Max Burundi. And this week we're discussing the 1964 classic of French cinema, Jacques Demy's musical masterpiece, The Umbrellas of Cherbourg. We'll be right back 
after you've listened to this. Max, welcome to Glass Eye. Let's begin by asking you your immediate reaction to this movie. Uh, yeah, thank you. Um, well, uh, it's a uh, sumptuous masterpiece, of course. It's um, supremely musical, in a way. Also, it's um, French. Quite. When did you first see it? Ah, well, um, I have not, in fact, seen it. Oh. Indeed. Uh, a fact which I suspect is going to play merry hell with your subsequent questions. Um, it's uh, it's visually most notable for the striking use of colour throughout. Yes, 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 yes. Gosh, isn't it just? <laughs> yes, yes, really um, very, 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 very colourful, apparently. Though, of course... <laughs> I couldn't give a toss. In in many ways, the visual palette is widely held to be a high point of film of the era, depicting a bright, vibrant atmosphere of positivity and light in sort of direct opposition to the emotional state of the characters in the film. Yes. Has it got any superheroes in it? Um, no. There you go, then. I mean, who gives a shit? Today's audience want spectacle, bang for their buck. They want excitement, escapism. They literally want to see Dwayne Johnson driving a car literally into space. Well, I'd literally argue there's a very great deal of spectacle and excitement on offer here. Mm, Then why hasn't anyone remade it then? hmm? I mean, I'd remake it. And the very first thing I'd do is put a giant bloody warrior robot in it. and Possibly the rock. With an umbrella, if you like. I'm not sure that would really fit the narrative, unless, of course, your giant robot is a visual metaphor for the imminent spectre of war. No, not really, no. It's a visual metaphor for a bloody great robot armed with an antimatter plasma cannon raining death and destruction on downtown Los Angeles. You jettison Cherbourg as a location. Oh, God, yes, terrible place. I went there once. It rained all afternoon. Well, I hardly... And it stank of fish. Whereas L.A. Doesn't usually smell of dead fish. (sighs) 
The film is also notable as an early role by Catherine Deneuve. Ah, yes. Well, of course, you, uh, you, you want your blonde in it, of course. Yeah. My go-to blonde would be Margot Robbie in any role. Right. I mean, I wouldn't get her, of course. These days she doesn't get out of bed unless there might be an Academy Award in it for her. Well, yes, she does seem to look for prestige projects these days, so the the film's central theme of young love being overcome by the grinding realities of you know parental expectation and kind of practicality that that could remain in essence in essence in essence no join us next time on the glass eye podcast that was fucking nonsense You seem tense, mate. I am tense. Also, I'm worried that I don't look manly enough and that I'm unattractive to women. Ah, I've got the thing here. Look, you need to smoke a Morley cigarette. Morley cigarettes, yeah? That old sweet Virginia taste, the breakfast of champions. I'd love to. Smoking is big and clever. Hold on. Is this another advert? It might be. Look... Yeah, we, we, we can't advertise tobacco, mate. We just did. Oh, did Roy Castle die for nothing? Huge Tobacco are offering us a small fortune. I don't care. Smoking is a killer. Well, there's no need to be so puritanical about it. Maybe I'm ideologically opposed to dried mango. You didn't think about that, did you? Don't be ridiculous. You're always stuffing your face with snacks and treats. Oh, only since I gave up smoking. What's next then? Are we we going to advertise Middle East arms exports? Sex trafficking? Is there any sewer of immorality that you won't eagerly swim through in your despicable grasping pursuit of dirty contaminated blood money? This election, why not vote Conservative? The Conservatives offer strong, stable government. They care about Britain's starving homeless poor. They care about the NHS. They care about you. Even Pretty Patel cares about you. So vote for the Conservative Party. The party who cares about Britain. You are a disgrace. Whatever money they gave you to say then, I'm not touching a penny. Oh, chill out. They didn't give us any money to say that. It came from Russia. When I look back now, I think of my early years in London Square Mile as halcyon days, really. As a city boy, life was peachy. Thatcher was doing a great job. She had Nigel Lawson, who was a genius. 
and the banking sector was doing a roaring trade. We were successful. Personally, I was onto a winner, you know. I wore the right suits, I had the Golf GTI, the flat in the new Docklands, timeshare in Alicante. But I got greedy. I was cocky. Put some money into unwise investments and lost a lot of people a lot of money. My employers at the time, Investicor, are you going to bleep out their name? Well, they were Billy Big Balls in the hedge fund management business, and naturally they got angry with my mistake. Said I was unscrupulous, wasteful, untrustworthy, a real plonker. They didn't fire me though, but said I had to make the money back somehow. And that's when they put me on the game. I was still allowed to keep my day job in the office, but I had to be on my back at night, paying off capital losses. So Investicor's CEO at the time, uh, Monty, well he's now Lord Montgomery of Amesbury, Monty was acting as my pimp and he got me my first Joan. This posh bird up St John's Woods needed escorting to some fancy, fancy dress party. She wanted me to come as James Bond 007, you know, in the old tux and what have you, so I turned up at her door looking all nice to take her out. So it was made clear to me in advance that sex would be expected. But that was okay, because it meant she'd pay me an extra 55 quid, and that in turn would be chalked off against the quarter billion losses I oversaw when Derek Pensions went tits up. Anyways, she comes to the door, clocks me up and down like I'm a piece of meat, and says, Ooh, Mr. Bond, is that a gun in your pocket, or a horribly misshapen penis? <laughs> and I... Uh, had to come clean and admit it wasn't a gun. So she sent me back on my way to the office. Things didn't get much better after that, to be honest. Next one was the wife of some yank trader over visiting her sons who were at Harrow or some such. We were sitting down at Langan's Brasserie, I remember, and, and, and she said over the appetizers, all sexy-like, I hope you go down as well as your stock in Betamax did. And I said, I, I don't really do that sort of thing, love. It tastes worse than this duck pate. Well, she kicked off, didn't she? Left me to foot the bleeding bill and all. And Monty was livid. Started shouting at me. Yes, I pay you to employ risk management techniques in an attempt to improve investment performance, short selling, leverage and derivatives and so forth, but I also expect you to be a sophisticated and considerate lover, on demand. Either way, you bring me the lolly. Now get fucking, you wanker. <sighs> I was struggling, I have to admit. 
I was off my nut with a 500 a week cocaine habit. And that was fine because my day job gave me more than enough to cover it, but I just wasn't getting the sort of traction I needed practicing the oldest profession. I guess I just didn't understand them. Women. Typically, I like to begin things amorously wise with a bit of a kiss, you know, what's the problem with that? But those nasty women, they weren't having any of that, said I was unprofessional. One even said she could smell my halitosis before I even knocked on her door, and she wouldn't be paying me for my services. I mean, the bloody cheek of it. But, who could have foreseen what happened next day? Not me. The stock market only went and crashed in 87, didn't it? The city was fucked. I mean, it got so bad for us banking lads, it was... it was tragic. Dark days. I mean... Increasingly, more and more of us investment managers was out pounding the streets, turning tricks. And by early 88, I'd estimate well over 60% of Lloyds of London staff were actually trading as whores during that time. You see, what people don't appreciate about the sex market is it goes down as well as up. Frame number three, Adam Duffy, to break. Uh, welcome back, or if you're just tuning in, welcome to this nail-biter of a match. I'm Dave Douglas, and I'm joined once again by my old friend and colleague, Phil Hornby. Evening, all. Phil, the viewers obviously can't see you, but I can't help noticing you've pulled out all the stops this evening. You're, you're looking very snazzy. Oh, <laughs> oh, the worst coat, you mean? Yes, it's a, a little showy, isn't it? Flamboyant is the word, or possibly pugnacious. For a moment there, I thought it must be Halloween. Well, you know, Phil, back in the 80s, we all dressed with, dare I say, a little more character. What? Uh, a character such as the Pied Piper of Hamlin, and those... Orange spats are very jaunty too. Eight. So, the question on everybody's lips tonight is, can Ronnie dig deep to produce something special? Actually, the question on my lips is, is that a crushed green velvet opera cloak?
Nein. Uh, yes, it is. It was given to me by an old friend, the actor John Pertwee. The commentary box is getting a real sartorial treat this evening. And that's a very powerful cologne you're wearing. Thank you. I, uh, I've been wearing Manhattan Gigolo since 1984 because they made me their brand ambassador. Ah, I recall the full-page advertisements in the Sunday supplements. 70. Oh, that's a great shot. He's run out of position on the next red, though. Very high spice notes. It really invigorates you and lets people know you're the alpha male in the room. 24. Top dog. 25. Cock of the walk. 14. Still to mature into a more stylish ensemble such as this. I certainly can't imagine Mark Selby wearing a hat like that. <laughs> oh, no, no. The uh, fedora is not something you wear lightly. It says, um, I am an entertainer, a showman. Now, these kids all wear uh, whatever beanies now. A very scruffy item of headwear. Much like your tracksuit, Dave. Well, uh, perhaps we'll... Have our own competition, Phil. A, a battle of tailors. Fifty-six. Fifty-seven. Mm, I don't fancy your chances there, Dave. In fact, I don't think I've seen you wearing any new clothing since British home stores went out of business. I tend to opt for loose practical fabrics when broadcasting. 64. Of course, 65. of course, but um, I'm off out after this. I've got a date. Well, I didn't think that box of Cadbury's milk tree was for me. No, indeed not. And uh, a gentleman never calls upon a lady without a small but thoughtful gift. Very classy. No, no. Three bob at SL Station. You can't go wrong. Good sketch, that one. Yeah, I liked it. I'm not sure we needed such an elaborate set for it, though, especially, you know, that it's inherently an audio-only medium. Where did you get that sofa from? Grants of King's Lynn. At Grants, we've got the perfect seating solution for every customer and every budget. Whether you're looking to spruce up the living room or refurbish your corporate headquarters, 
Grants of Kings Lynn is the only place you need to visit. In the 10th anniversary year of our historic closing down sale, with unbeatable finance deals, Grants of Kings Lynn is the only place in Norfolk where we don't need to ask, are you sitting comfortably? God, this is getting bloody ridiculous now. I've created a monster. I've opened Pandora's box. Look, it's my job as commercial director to look for new routes to market, synergise with advertising partners and monetise our content competitively. Let me just stop you there because you sound like a total helmet. You can't stop me. I'm off to King's Cross. On earth, I simply why? I'm going to the ninth annual podcasters symposium in Camden. The perfect opportunity to network with industry creatives and the top podcasting talent in global Britain. Hmm, I see. And um, who's going to be there? Uh, uh, Tom Clarkson, Mark Kermode, Emily Maitlis. Oh yes, I, I think you can learn a lot from Emily Maitlis. We could all learn a lot from Emily Maitlis. Yeah, in half a minute she is. I don't think you'll learn how to write comedy from talking to Mark Kermode or Emily Maitlis. Oh, I'm not going for tips on writing comedy. Yeah, I feel that will disappoint our listeners, especially Phil McGregor94, who left us a terrible one-star review on Apple Podcasts. Yeah, don't worry about him. He's been dealt with. I know people. Oh, right, that's our ethos, is it? Leave us a five-star review or we'll feed you to the fucking pigs. If it's good enough for Grants of Kings Lynn, it's good enough for us. The Electric Sodcast was written and performed by James Burton and Ian Martin, with music by an eight-year-old. Mm. Benton's Mango. Mm. I want it in my mouth.